This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at Zen Mountain Monastery. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. This is case number eight from the Book of Equanimity by Zhang Fox. When Bai Zhang lectured to the hall, there was always an old man who listened to the teaching and then dispersed with the crowd. Bai Zhang then asked him, who are you standing there? The old man said, in antiquity, in the time of the ancient Buddha Kashapa, I lived on this mountain. A student asked me, does an enlightened person still fall into cause and effect or not? I answered him, they do not fall into cause and effect and I fell into a wild fox body for 500 lifetimes. Now I ask the teacher to say something on my behalf. Bajang said, they do not ignore cause and effect. Another translation says, they are not blind to cause and effect. The old man was greatly enlightened at these words. So yesterday's workshop was on karma, and I thought this would be a interesting and challenging koan to take up. I chose to take it up from the Book of Equanimity because I I really want to work with the karmic aspect of this koan. It's it's a nanto koan. Nanto means difficult to penetrate, difficult to see into. Uh, And it's one of the more challenging koans uh, that we we work with. And it has a lot of points. And I I think I'll, I'll read you the full koan to give you a a taste of its uh, challenge. Uh, whenever Bai Zhang, slightly different translation, Bai Zhang or Yakujo gave a Dharma talk, he noticed an old man who was not one of his students would sit in the back of the Dharma hall and listen to his talk. When the talk was over, he would leave with the others. One day the old man remained behind. Bai Zhang asked him, Who are you? The old man said, I'm not a human being. A long time ago in the days of Kashapa Buddha, I was a priest of this mountain. And one day, one of my students asked me if enlightened beings beings are subject to the laws of cause and effect. I told them they are not. And so I've been reborn as a fox for 500 lifetimes. So now I ask you to give me a turning word so that I may be freed from this body of a fox. Tell me, are enlightened beings subject to the law of cause and effect? Bai Zhang answered, they do not ignore the law of cause and effect. The old man was deeply enlightened. He bowed and said, Now I am free of this fox's body. Please perform a burial service for me. You'll find my fox body on the other side of the mountain. The master then went into the hallway and told the doan to strike the densho, for there will be a funeral service for a dead monk after the meal. The monks wondered who had died, for after all, everybody was well and there was nobody in the infirmary. After the meal, Bai Zhang led all the monks outside, and they went to the other side of the mountain. There they found the body of a dead fox. He cremated it in the customary way. Later that evening, when the master sat on the high seat, he told the monks what had happened. Wang Po stepped up to Bai Zhang and said, The old man was reborn, reborn as a fox for 500 lives. What would have happened to him if his answer had been correct? Bai Zhang said, Come closer to me and I'll tell you. Wang Wang Po came up 
and slapped Baijiang in the face. So if you're following that, the student stepped up and slapped the master. Baijiang clapped his hands and said, I thought I was, I was the red-bearded barbarian, but you have an even redder beard than I have. So you can see there's a lot to this koan and a lot of places that challenge us to, to, make, to see into it. It's, it's a very famous koan. Um, and um, among the things it's dealing with is karma, but not just karma. Um, in, in yesterday's retreat, I quoted Trumpa Rinpoche talking about karma. He says, karma is like a game of chess. Whenever you're on the, wherever you are on the board at this moment is a result of your past actions. But whatever you're going to do in the next moment depends on your present situation. The present situation is partially influenced by the past. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. But at the same time, this present is also influenced by the future, which is open space and freedom. So that begins to address, you know, is our, do we have free will or is everything predetermined? Karma. So, you know, I took the shortened version because there's no way in 40 or 45 minutes to cover this koan and, and do justice to it. Uh, and because I wanted to mainly talk about karma. Um, and there's a lot, of, a lot of ways to respect karma. At its heart, karma is simply the effect of duality, the effect of this and that. And another way to appreciate that is karma is conceptual thought. Conceptual thought with the bonus of the automatic attachment that tends to come with it. And we have the ability to conceptualize anything, including this practice, including each of the individual practices that we do, shikantaza, koan, study, breath practice, and to take and step back from that, because there's a conscious stepping back, and then, you know, reify it, meaning thought, fix it, uh, and also deify it, meaning make it something special, um, which it actually isn't. What's special is the craziness that dualistic thought lives within us and creates all this karma and suffering. That's the unusual part of who we are. So how do we live? I mean, we simply plan to the best of our ability. We try to direct our life so that we may be happy. We may be healthy or achieve what we think is important or define as success. Or perhaps we just go with the flow, doing our best to move forward to something more satisfying than what we have in the present. Or perhaps we just rest in the status quo. I mean, what's the sense? What's the use? I mean, this is how it is. Let's just float down the river this way. No matter what the plan is, no matter how we approach life with a sensitivity towards planning and figuring it out, or just, you know, being caught up in it and moving from moment to moment without any overall sense of it, no matter what that is and no matter what we achieve and no matter what the past is, 
the vast ocean of life is going to bring us waves. That's a given for each of us. The waves may be tiny, imperceptible to others, but annoying to us, you know, the of life that we roll our eyes and make these sounds. And uh, I'm laughing when I met uh, this uh, beautiful young person that I eventually married. Uh, I thought she was from Scandinavia because she um, had these green-blue eyes and this perfect complexion, and she didn't at all look Jewish in any way that I could perceive. And then as we were talking, she went... I said, oh. (laughs) So forgive me for that cultural joke, but it's real. Um, So anyway, these waves may be uh, very serious or ongoing hurricanes, uh, winds and storms that are the karma of a given life. There's no guarantees except for whatever we plan for as our life, that plan is not going to survive contact with reality. I mean, that's just how it is. And this is what we know. We, we live this. We all struggle with this simply because we're human. And all of us, without exception, are karmic beings. We wouldn't be sitting here without our karma. And we live within this world and manage our personal lives And it's all karmically responsive. Our personal karma, the karma of our nation, our heritage, our skin color, our time and place karma, our body karma, our intelligence, the the traits that we've come from, the genetic karma. Wherever we look, we see the reality of cause and effect, which is one understanding of karma that whatever exists, exists because there are causes. And I I emphasize the causes because the Buddha emphasized that karma is not almost never, if not never, linear, meaning there's not a single cause and then a single effect. I mean, there can't be. The the realization of the Buddha is this is one whole universe. You're going to pluck out a single cause and say, this causes that, end of story? That we, we think that often, don't we? But it's not like that. Well, not just like that. But because we can only see what our limited vision allows, we can't know or divine much of our karma. I mean, in one sense we can. Here it is. I mean, you're living it. Um, But in another sense, um, we don't understand Occasionally we may get a glimpse when we look back through a, a long enough life we can see some of our individual karma at play we can sometimes see some of the specific ways that our difficulties and the hard choices we made were unskillful or skillful and have played out to this moment in this place I'm thinking of, you know, the decisions of meeting someone seemingly by chance and the consequences of that meeting, which reverberate to this day with many people, many people in this hall that I've met. And I think the same thing applies to each of us. 
I'm thinking of sometimes little tiny decisions that seem inconsequential and yet have had, you know, total fundamental effects on who we are and what our life is here, now. I'm thinking of a decision to, um, you know, which at the time was casual, uh, living in Denver. Well, let me check this place out. It's fairly new. I'm done with my training in one place, but I'm not satisfied. Let me check this place out. The publications seem interesting. The photographs are good. But it's a pain to do that. Maybe I won't do it. Maybe I will. Oh, okay. The effects of our actions are unknowable from our present perspective. And the law of unintended consequences has far greater effect than whatever we know and can see at the present time. In fact, the law of unintended consequences, in a way, rules supreme. We just can't know all the karma of anything we say or think and do. But the consequences are not what we intended. In Buddhism, the endless cycle of birth and death is samsara. Our three poisons, greed, anger, and ignorance, turn this wheel of life and death. In the, in the retreat yesterday, there was a, um, as large a poster as I could find of that wheel, and there are many depictions of it. But it's pretty impressive. Uh, it's got a lot in it, but you know, one of the primary features is yama, the god of death. And he's holding the wheel of life, how we live, of karma, in his mouth. He's grabbing it with his teeth. Death is grabbing your life in its teeth. And that wheel has wheels within wheels. You know, the 12-link chain of causation, which is happening now in this instant, the six realms, um, the three poisons, and there are other considerable details, depending on the presentation. And yet, in the upper left-hand corner is the Buddha, and in the upper right-hand corner, I'm not quite sure, but I think it's a bodhisattva, watching this whole thing. Understanding that every aspect of the samsaric world is an invitation to see into this world and awaken to, in effect, put an end to samsara. Not in effect, but to put an end to samsara. So this koan presents us with our life. It's not just a fairy tale about a fox. This is your life. A mistake, a response arising out of ignorance, and the far-reaching consequences of of that apparent mistake. And yet, we are all inherently endowed with the wisdom of a Buddha. We all have Buddha nature. I'm currently in a, in a place where I'm railing against the, what I perceive as the current trend in Western Buddhism to kind of denigrate that and to shift into a philosophical wellness kind of Buddhism. Um, and I'm kind of painting a slightly black and white picture, but that's not my understanding of what the Buddha taught, what the Buddha realized. And the fact of it is, you may be well or you may not be well. I know some people I consider pretty realized, at least from my judgmental perspective, 
who are not well, not even happy sometimes. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. So we sit on a razor's edge. Human desires, ignorance, passions on one side. Anyone in the room not have them? Because you can leave. You've got it. (laughs) And that's framed by our intelligence, our conceptual intelligence, our greed, our passions, and our inherent Buddha nature on the other side, which is inviting us to affirm for ourselves this nature and to wake up and to live that within our practice. Practice is another word for life. <clears throat> to restate that we're on the razor's edge of our relative humanity and our absolute Buddhahood. And how our life plays out is through our karmic conditions that we've received and live out of. I think usually most people, perhaps us, just live simple lives of desire and our attempts to hold on and steer our life to a more desirable and less painful manner. And I think that's true of all of us, no matter what the circumstances of our life, no matter what our insight is. I mean, this is the humanistic perspective. We're all human beings. But at the same time, there's a beacon that's flashing, that's calling to us, that's beckoning. And what is that? It's something beyond the tendency for a solitary perspective of me and mine. Me and my staked out area, my life, or what I claim to own. My others that I possess. In a life devoted to Dharma practice, no matter what our outer situation may be, there's always a way to transform our karma, to appreciate our karma, to live out of our karma that just not just holds not just our life, but the lives of beings beyond any perspective that I may think and know. I mean, that's the effect of karma. You throw a little pebble, a thought, a word into a pond and the ripples will never stop. An action. So, what about this life of samsara? How do we live the 500 lives of a fox that we are all currently living? All of us. Do you think the the old man who, from some understandings of this koan, is also Yakajo or Baijang in a previous incarnation and was then the abbot of that monastery, then. So this is one way to understand the story. He's actually talking to himself, another version of himself. That's an interesting perspective. Do you think while he was living those 500 lives of a fox, He knew he was living a fox's life? That's an interesting question. Extrapolate that to your life. Uh, I just, a couple of days ago, got out of a hermitage and um, spoke to Aho. And, of course, we used to raise chickens. And then this past week got visited by a fox. No more chickens. Which is 
extremely painful because of our relationship with our chickens. And I've had my own relationship with foxes. A long time ago, I was camping in the Brooks Range in the Arctic. It's above the Arctic Circle. It's a magnificent and very, very inaccessible place. Um, I was with some other people, but I was camping at a little distance away. And along trotted up an Arctic fox. They're small, like a big cat, mostly tail, like foxes are. And it obviously had never seen a human being. Because it was like, who are you? And it basically came right up to me. And, you know, kind of cocked its head and looked at me. And, you know, I could see, who are you? What are you doing here? And then it went over to my pack. And it, you know, was there something for me here? Uh, I guess not. I can smell something, but I'm going to be cautious. And then looked at me again and trotted off. And it made a big impression on me. And I even can't say why. It was just like I was visited by a spirit. Um, When I lived in Colorado, there were a lot of foxes. And they were silver, not red. And I, you know, how is that? And I asked. And during World War II, before World War II, they did fox farming. They raised foxes for their fur. And they bred them to be silver. And then World War II came and the market collapsed. So... Thankfully, from there, in my perspective, they let all the foxes go. So they're out there, and you would see a fox, and it's, you know, it's not this red-orange color. It's silver. And that always struck me, and I can't say why, but it did. And now I have uh, a mother fox and two kits in my life that live in the forest right next to us and dine on chickens. And the fox traditionally in the Orient, and to a lesser but real extent here, is considered, you know, the epitome of slyness and cleverness, and in the Orient, nastiness. It's not a nice animal. So to be reborn for 500 years in a fox is not considered a a fortunate rebirth. So, in us choosing to sit sazen, to practice zen, we bring to light our fox bodies. We get to see our dualities. We get to see some of our karma. Our life is simply the reality of the choices that we make and the effects of those choices. And yes, stuff happens that we don't seem to be directly in control of. But the Buddha emphasized, among many of his teachings on karma, which are not well organized, so you can pick and choose. It's kind of like reading the Bible in a way. You can support any argument if you want with karma. That the major point of karma is that it comes out of volition. It comes out of choices that you're making. Daito Roshi often would say, what you do and what happens to you, the same thing. And that's a challenging statement. And I always flip it. What happens to you and what you do is the same thing, is the way I understand that. That what happens to you, which is karmic undoubtedly, but you may or may not have any relationship and knowledge of that. You may. But certainly at this point, when it happens, you have volition. 
And that's one of the points of this koan. And so our life is the reality of that volition that is currently alive and well as you. And the effects of these choices create your future. We sit directly before the relative world we all know so well. And all of us experience happiness and sadness, living and dying. Our turn will come, but in the meantime, we can look around and see it. Grasping and fumbling, and this very ephemeral, ephemeral, ungraspable moment. And it's all within a bewildering world that we simply struggle to make some sense of, to understand, and make, make work. And how's that project going? You know, will it ever be complete? Will it ever be at a point where, oh, it's working, I can stop my efforts? So we surf the waves of relativity. I mean, we're riding those waves of this world. And like every good surfer, even if we have a good ride for a while, we're going to end up dumped. We're going to end up in the water, sputtering, trying to take a breath. And at the same time, we see something, a hope, a possibility, a question, a desire, you know, the endless wave. I'm probably dating myself. That was a a movie about the endless wave of surfers. A hope, not of leaving this relative world behind, but of seeing into this moment of our life just as it is. And I don't think it's usually expressed that way, that the joy of living just as it is, as we are, as our karma is, is a remarkable joy. Joy is, you know, a misapplied word because, you know, it translates like love or other things to, you know, the commercialized perspective of how we understand that. But the joy I'm talking about is profoundly in our bones. It's already there. That's why that light is flashing, calling to us, because it is possible, and we know that. And the outer circumstances, the surfing, the waves, in a particular way, are irrelevant to that joy. Does that sound impossible? Well, right now you're living your life of 500 foxes, 500 lives of a fox. You might as well see as deeply as you can into the depth of this current life, into the depth, depths of who you are and what you are into the depths of your dissatisfaction. You know, hold up your dissatisfaction so you can see them, so you can be clear about them, so you can see into them clearly and see what is at the bottom of that. Remember what was said earlier. Karma, samsara, rests in duality. So look, study at what you're dissatisfied with. See what you see. When Bai Zhang lectured to the hall, there was always an old man who listened to the teaching and then dispersed with the crowd. Bai Zhang then asked him, who is standing there? Who are you? The old man said, in antiquity, in the time of the ancient Buddha Kashapa, I lived on this mountain. A student asked me, 
does an enlightened person still fall into cause and effect or not? I answered, they do not fall into cause and effect. And as a result, I fell into a wild fox body for 500 lifetimes. Classic Buddhist teaching, enlightenment frees us from karma, frees us from the wheel of life and death. That's the whole point, in a sense. It frees us from everything, actually. In the absolute sense, there is no karma. There is no way to perceive karma. There is no way to live out of karma. There's no way to speak of it. There is no self, there is no other. Realizing the absolute nature of reality, you are not subject to entangling karma within that realization. And that realization is what makes a Buddha a Buddha. It's what makes realization realization. It's what changes your life to the degree as you practice. And I'm kind of presenting this as a seemingly single event, but we all know it's not like that. There may be events along the way, but what can you say about that? Practice and realization. Whole. But that perspective is a classical Buddhist answer. In Zen, to encounter the absolute is not yet enlightenment. If you say yes, the enlightened person is free of karma, you're leaving something out. What's being left out? And if you say they're not freed of karma, what's the point of practice? Why are we doing this? If not to address our life. So, you know, this is the obvious trick question. Which side are you going to come down on, right? Am I fooling anybody? I hope not. So what is the point of enlightenment? That's a good question to ask. What is the point of our practice and realization that we are so proud of? You might consider asking yourself that. What's the point of your practice if it's not to change your life, to be free of your karma? That's what changing your life means. I answered him, they do not fall into cause and effect and I fell into a wild fox body for 500 lifetimes. Do we know that right here, in this samsaric karmic world, in this world of suffering, in this wheel that is continually turning, is your enlightened mind? Do we know that? Do we have some faith in that? Are you young, vibrant, healthy? Intelligent, great. This is your karma. This is your present life of your 500 lives of a fox. Are you sick, unhappy, depressed, anxious? Great. This is your present life of your 500 lives of a a fox. Either way, there are many more lives to come. Impermanence is reality. Now, I asked the teacher to say something on my behalf. Bajang said they do not ignore the enlightened person. They do not ignore cause and effect. Now, in the context of this koan, that can sound very, so what? Okay, and they don't ignore it, great. But these are turning words. And you have to see into these turning words. 
These are not casual words. And they're turning words because someone who has lived 500 lives of a fox and faced some sorrow for 500 lives knows what samsara is and what freedom from samsara is, knows what delusion is and knows what awakening is. They know this because they have lived it. Do you know this? Have you lived your 500 years as a fox? Really lived it? Are you living it now? What we have is this life as our awareness, as our consciousness. As long as you're conscious, as long as you have the ability to create thought, in parenthesis, dualistic thought, in parenthesis, attachment thought, you have the ability to create karma. You will create karma. And the karma is very simple. If there's this, then that is there. If you live and think and act from a dualistic perspective that rests in your own self, body, mind perspective, you'll create karma. You'll be on that wheel, 1 through 12. You can place yourself there. You'll be in those six human realms. You can place yourself there. And from cause and effect, no one, no body, no thing is excluded. You know, things come into existence because of causes and effect. When those effects and causes go away, things go away. Whatever this, the causes and effects that make this up, whatever that is, when they disappear, whatever we are labeling this, thinking of this as, When that disappears, this disappears. Change is just another so-called thing that is itself just causes and effect. So here's a plea. Look. Look. See this for yourself. Sit Zazen with an acute eye. Don't just sit there. Sit Sazen with an acute eye. Study your mind. Take it up as the ever-changing karma that it is, that it has been created. It's your mind. The thoughts that are going through your mind are karmic. See your own mind. See your mind creating reality as, they co- as it comes into being, the thoughts. And the thoughts leave. Where did they go? Are you consciously aware that what you do What you say, what you think, is a direct response to the karmic conditions you've set up as your mind, as you perceive it? Have you ever thought of how much of your way of speaking and acting and thinking is like a puppet? The string is pulled, and there's your thoughts and feelings and subsequent actions. Your hand moves, your mouth speaks, you cogitate more furiously. I don't know if that's a word, but I think you understand what I'm saying. You may or may not believe this, or you may have some sense of this, but forget it, and you live in the world of samsara. Remember it, and a doorway opens, and that 
12-link chain of causation, that wheel of life, is truly a wheel of life. Every step in that wheel, every place in that wheel, is an opportunity for you personally to live your karmic life. And when you live your karmic life fully, there is no karma. Within the karma, there is no karma. Where would you speak of a karma? When you drop dualism, and it's one whole body, and you step forward from that one whole body to see each individual body, each individual thing, each individual thought as one whole body, where could there possibly be karma? And yet, in the Bodhisattva path, we are working with karma. We're dealing with our karma and other karmas. So how are you free of karma? You bind yourself or you don't bind yourself? It's yours. It's yours. The question is, do you see it? The question is, are you willing to see it? Are you willing to stare directly into your being and not shy away from what happens when you create two, when you create two with attachment. And instead, see the two as one whole body. See it. Honor it. There are two as one whole body. I pulled in Mumon's poem from the Mumon Khan to kind of conclude this. He says, not, fall, not falling, not ignoring, two faces, one die. Speaking of dice. Not ignoring, not falling, hundreds of thousands of regrets. And this is it. This sums up the, the koan beautifully. Our karma always comes down to this. Not falling, not ignoring. Can we see the two sides of the single die and not be fooled. And when I say, can we see that? Can we see that as your own personal, intimate life? We're not talking about something out there. There is nothing out there. This life, this body, one single die, not falling, not ignoring. And then he flips it. Not ignoring, not falling, hundreds of thousands of regrets. Well, if you don't see it, find your place on the wheel. You have found your place on the wheel. But even if you have found your place on the wheel, this is still not a problem. It's just our body. Fox body, human body. It is just what it is. Thanks so much for listening. The Monastery's quarterly journal, Mountain Record, has a new home at mountainrecord.org. For over 30 years, Mountain Record has been offering spiritual seekers of all faiths a unique journey through words and images. Each quarterly issue delivers a thought-provoking array of classic teachings, contemporary wisdom, stunning photographs, and news from the mountains and rivers order. 
For more information, to subscribe, or to read our open access articles, visit mountainrecord.org.